with a 33 to 14 win over TCU in Fort Worth. Sooners for the very first time this season, two game winning streak. It's, it's crazy to think that it has never happened. Oklahoma now sitting three and two on this season. And for the very first time, they've won two in a row. And that's a okay with us. Now, Texas Tech on the horizon, Halloween night. Welcome, everybody, to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray. Rich, this is a game where I think when, when you break it down, the very first place you have to start is looking on the defensive side of the ball. Do you not? I, I don't know that I would, would say that that's the case for me. And largely because of what we said about this front seven time and time again, I get that you you want to look at the record and it immediately gives you some kind of a thought as to how well this team is performing, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but also offensively. And we consistently talked leading up to that Texas game that Oklahoma had to limit the turnovers from the offensive side of the ball. And more specifically, Spencer Rattler needed to, to limit those turnovers. So when I'm looking at this game, I get what you're saying. I get your perspective and where you're coming from with the defense because it was possibly the best defensive performance we've seen out of this this team this season. And that includes that week one game against Missouri State. But offensively, I thought they did the little things well, and I don't want to overlook that fact. No, and we'll definitely get into, into the offensive side of the ball as well because there are some things there that I, I want to bring to light just to – kind of get your opinion on that they're doing differently offensively. But I want to, I want to jump back over here to the defensive side of the ball. It's an interesting point that you bring up maybe the best defensive performance since even better than that first game with Missouri state, you know, Oklahoma, they only gave up 14 points to TCU, but to me, the most impressive thing were, were two really, really three, three parts on the defense that just really impressed me. The 75 yards that they allowed on the ground TCU was four of 14 on third down and the Horn Frogs only averaged 7.9 yards per pass. Now you put those three things together. I don't care who your opponent is. You're most likely going to come out on top. And, and you mentioned the, the front seven, that's where it starts on this defense. The, the, the back end is going to have their problems and we're going to break down some of that here in just a minute. But this front seven is definitely setting the tone for this defense. And I think this is where, I mean, Alex Grinch, he's a defensive guy, right? And he coaches the defensive backs, but this front seven is going to be the cornerstone that I think Grinch is going to build his defense on. They're very talented right now. They're very young right now. And they've got some big-time talent coming in that are more along the lines of, like, you know, Nathan Rollins, Kilbong, you know, the the big, fast guys that, that Grinch really wants. But we're seeing a massive impact from this front seven on the opponent's offensive game plans. And when you talk about our keys to this game, they, they, I think, I mean, to pat ourselves on the back, Rich, they, um, Oklahoma absolutely did exactly what we thought they should do on both sides of the ball, but defensively brought pressure up the middle and they did a heck of a job at containing Max Duggan. And when you look at his stats, you know, everyone, everyone thought going into that game that Duggan was going to be the guy that, would kind of hurt Oklahoma with his feet. 
but Oklahoma was able to keep containment on him and his feet were basically a non-factor after the big performance he had in, in Norman a year ago. Yeah. Leading up to this game, I, I definitely thought TCU, the quarterback position was going to be the X factor. And I, I wouldn't say that I was doubting. I've always said his name Dugan. So you, I'll have to apologize if I say Dugan and everybody else says Duggan. Um, but I always thought that he would play in this game. I thought he would play a complete game. That's exactly what we saw. But we know there have been some health concerns, which contributed more to that quarterback position of TCU having such a large role in this game. You talk about the deceptive speed. A lot of people believe that Duggan is a quarterback who is a better runner. And we discussed this on Thursday, Matt. This was part of that true or false, I believe, mm -hmm. where we were saying, is Duggan a better runner than a guy like Sam Ellinger? Right. And there is some thought. There is some kind of evidence for that. I said no, that he didn't run with that same tenacity. He didn't run with that same power. But that doesn't distract or take away from the capabilities that Duggan has, not only through the air, but also when he decides to tuck and run. And I have to agree with you and what you've said. Oklahoma did an excellent job at keying in on Duggan, not letting him escape the pocket, putting pressure on him. More specifically, you mentioned from up the middle. I think Perry and Winfrey really solidified himself as the better candidate. And you said the consistency of Ellison has been undeniable. I can't refute that, but Perry and Winfrey flashed the ceiling that he has. And while I may not have been as excited about a Juco transfer recruits such as Winfrey or Ellison. These guys have proved me wrong time and time again. It's a much welcome sight. We talked about the presence or the lack thereof of a guy like Neville Gallimore and who was really going to step up and be that leader on the defensive line considering the situation that has played out and how depleted that defensive line was at the beginning of the season. It's continued to be a strength of this team and the ability to key in the ability to game plan. Let's just talk about the preparation here, the ability to game plan for a mobile quarterback or a guy who can hurt you when there's nothing open up, opening up downfield. Oklahoma got some coverage, coverage pressure there for sure on Duggan. I don't know that they were successful in bringing him down every single time that happened, but the coverage I thought was, was decent. It was on par. Um, it wasn't, excellent it wasn't the best that we've ever seen but w when we talk about this defensive line and the progress that they've made you can't do anything but applaud what I don't know if you want to give credit to a specific coach or you want to give credit to Alex Grinch as the coordinator but whatever they're doing preparation wise whatever they're doing in game planning and whatever they're doing in on the field productivity it, it's all coming together for this group yeah, well, you know, they, they sacked they sacked him three times. And I don't know, I'd have to go back and look at the actual number of pressures that they brought on him. But when, when you look at this game, you know, he carried the ball just like, I think he had nine rushing attempts and like 18 yards. I mean, he he, he averaged two yards per carry, two, two yards per rushing attempt. And that's what we said coming into this game is that you you want him to try to beat you with his arm. And he was mildly effective with his arm. He wasn't spectacular, but I mean, he completed 71% of his passes for 276 yards. And then obviously he had the, the passing touchdown, but at the end of the day, you talked about 
a lot of things there. And I'm just going to bring this back around to <laughs> my, to, my apologies. No, 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 no. Not, that's good. You, you said a lot there and I'm just going to try to bring back around to, to what I want to say uh, in response to what you're saying. You know, when, when Oklahoma first got commitments from Perry and Winfrey and Josh Ellison, I said, these guys, they have to, they have to, there's no time to groom them, right? They have to come in and they have to be immediate contributors on this Oklahoma defensive right. front. And, and we saw, I think, and that's what I said Thursday night on our pregame podcast, we had seen more consistency from Ellison through the first four games. But now you go back to the last two games, Texas and now TCU, and you're seeing Winfrey be that guy in the middle that everyone thought he would. He's, he's, he's quick off the snap. He's got power and he's, he's got athleticism. Um, it's, it's amazing what he's doing. And I, I promise you now, offensive coordinators across the Big 12, they're still in Oklahoma's schedule. They're they're scratching their heads at these two guys in the middle, going, man, I I you know I don't know, and and then potentially adding Ronnie Perkins next Saturday back into this defensive front. Yes, you're right. There are some struggles still in the secondary, and and I think Oklahoma. I said in the recap, Oklahoma is going to have to live with that until they change those the personnel out. But when the quarterback doesn't have time to read through multiple progressions and and make a, a downfield throw, you can live with some of those those mishaps in your secondary because the quarterback's running for his life. And and that's what you saw. You saw some some quick throws from Dugan. You saw some uh, you saw some pressure get to him and, and him run out of bounds. You, you, I mean, you, you did see some success there, and that's just going to happen. There, there are quarterbacks that are still in Oklahoma's schedule that are going to have success against this secondary. But that front seven and, and the way they're able to, to contain on the outside against guys like, like the kid at Texas Tech, if those outside guys can contain him, keep him in the pocket, then they are having a heyday with pressure up the middle. And it's only going to get better if you're an Oklahoma fan when you look at Texas Tech next weekend because they don't have the type of mobility in the quarterback position that the Sooners have seen in the last two weeks with Duggan and Sam Ellinger. There, I said the name both ways, Rich, and that kind of bells you out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here for you, bro. Okay, so Matt, here's what I believe. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Really quick, just because we focus so much on the quarterback play at, at TCU, and what I think people are going to, to begin to realize is that Duggan's going to be that player who stays around for quite some time, and you're continuously thinking, did, did he not graduate last year? Uh, we're still having to play against this kid. He is a good talent. Of course, there's room for some improvement there, and, and I know that that offensive line was absolutely atrocious. I know that Oklahoma attacked that offensive line and attempted to put Duggan in a very um, – peculiar situation a little bit of unfamiliarity with having to run having to scramble so much Oklahoma laid the blueprint for all the other teams moving forward defensively specifically for that defensive line any team that's playing D TCU and Gary Patterson's gonna have to figure that out but again I look at the talent that exists 
I look at, at some of the skill position players that TCU has, and if they can get that offensive line working like they have in the past, TCU is going to be a team that's going to surprise a handful of other teams. It's just, again, a, a depleted front is never – that doesn't matter which team you're playing for, but that depleted front has never paid dividends for any team across the country. Well, when you look at what's left on Oklahoma's schedule, um, they may have played the best offensive lines that they're going to face this season. They may be out of the way. And now, now you're going down the back half of your schedule. And like I said, especially when you consider that there's a good chance Ronnie Perkins jumps back into the mix on this defensive line. I think things are just going to get better if you're an Oklahoma fan. Right. Between the NFL, college football, and the World Series, there's no shortage of games or sports to watch on television, and there are thousands of lines available on all of your favorite sports and events that you can turn your game day into a payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy or girl who likes to sit back and look at the big favorites, consider putting a couple dollars on a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games more exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The NFL, here's the thing about that. The underdogs are never really dogs. On Sunday, every team, well, maybe except for the New York Jets, every team truly has a chance to win. And so do you. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit, and they'll match it dollar for dollar, all the way up to $1,000. It's a bonus that's designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets. You can bet on the election. All the major sports and more. Sign up today and begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. You know, Rich, um, here's here's the thing also to consider when you talk about this defensive front of Oklahoma. You may know this. I, I, I'm going to throw it out there to you. Do you know how many seniors are starting on this defensive front? Absolutely zero. No, that would be one. You've got Laron Stokes, who's, <laughs> who's the only senior here. And so when you when you think when you, you said look, starting, yeah, Laron Stokes was started. He he's number one on the depth chart going into TCU, um, and he had he had a pretty good play uh, in, in that game as well. But when you, I, when, I just missed it. My my bad. No worries. Um, but when you you look at the the fact that you know Laron Stokes is a senior, but if he wants to come back, he can come back in twenty twenty one. This is a defensive front that is only going to get stronger through the remaining five games and whatever bowl postseason stuff Oklahoma still has ahead of them. Certainly not out of the picture yet in the Big 12 championship. Um, this is a, they're, they're going to get better over the last five, six, or, or seven games that they have remaining on the season. But then they're going to get a spring practice, and then they're going to go into next fall, 2021. This will be, in my opinion, if it's not already that way right now, the best defensive front in the Big 12, again, you got you to fix that. That's a wild statement. But it's true. I make. mean, you, you, can you dispute that? I mean, take all the crimson and cream glasses off. Take all the Oklahoma uh, fandom mm-hmm. out of the picture. Is it not true? It is true. But I, Matt, day one, when we learned that 
Jalen Redmond was stepping out of the equation. We already knew about the suspension from Ronnie Perkins and then Neville Gallimore graduating, Mm -hmm. going into the NFL. When you look at those three key playmakers, not, not even available. Oklahoma obviously can't use any of those players and they still haven't to this day for us to sit here five after five games. We're not five weeks into the season. I get that. But after five games to, to even have a discussion that this could be the best defensive front in the big 12 is it's a little bit absurd to think about because I didn't think that was a a possibility. Well, and it's, I mean, I think it's straight reality is what I'm saying. It's they're they're They are extremely good. And let's just, I mean, we, we can take a, the, the four conference teams that we've seen. Iowa State's pretty solid, okay? Um, Kansas State, pretty solid. Texas, we talked about that Thursday night. Texas is a mess. I think they're, they're I think, yeah, they're just a mess, okay? We, I, we already talked about that. Um, their linebacker play is just absurd. And then TCU, they're secondary. And we're going to get into what Oklahoma did offensively. But TCU's secondary is is the best part of, of that entire team right now. Oklahoma, I mean, again, they're as they continue to mature and get a spring under them, they will be what you watch and see. We'll do our preseason rankings and all that stuff, but people will be talking about when you hit late July into August of next year, people are going to be raving about the potential of this defensive front for the University of Oklahoma, assuming that they're all still going to be there. I can't disagree with that, especially given the the current situation. You look at um, uh, you've you've already alluded to this, but the fact that everybody's being granted an, an additional year of eligibility, the experience that's gained throughout this year, the thrusting into a starting role into the limelight has certainly helped players gain some confidence that they may not have had previously. We're not just looking at the the starting lineup being excellent. We're looking at the two deep being right. some of the best in, in the big 12. Yeah. Because when, when you look at how they're recruiting for that, um, for those positions, the defensive line and linebackers, again, only getting deeper and better. You know, when you look at um, again, keeping with this idea, the theme of Oklahoma's defensive front, when they, when you're getting solid play like that from those guys, it helps mask some problems that are on the back end of your defense. And, and Oklahoma still has them. You've got missed tackles. You've got blown assignments. You've got penalties that are littered um, in that secondary. They, they were not as bad as what they have been, but they still weren't great. But when you can get pressure on a quarterback and when you can have him running for his life and dumping down, it can make a secondary that has struggled, it can make them look a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that, again, here we sit and we're, we're looking at some of the miscues from what I thought was an experienced player in Brendan Radley-Hiles. Of course, being the recruit that he was, stepping onto campus, immediately earning that starting role, five-star recruit playing the nickelback position. I know that they want to use him in some different roles. I just don't feel as though we've ever really seen him find that perfect fit. Granted, he had nine total tackles, was accredited with half of a tackle for loss, which 
both of those, uh, not both of those numbers, but the number of tackles in the game against TCU led the team. So he is doing something right. Those instincts are still there. I get what you're saying. And I'm looking at this secondary and ultimately what I'm trying to do is pinpoint that weak point. I don't know that I could pinpoint a weak point because every week it seems as though there's one individual who, who does have that miscue who doesn't necessarily rotate over, doesn't understand the assignments on that specific call, on that specific down, and then gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, we're looking at TCU, who broke off some some pretty big plays in the receiving game. Pro Wells with a 47-yard reception. Zach Evans, I know the running back, coming out of the backfield, 21. And then you had Tay Barber with the 30-yard the reception. So there are big plays that are still being allowed. That was one of the biggest concerns that we've had for this this secondary it seems to still be that issue but again who who do you pinpoint and say they're the ones who need the most improvement because I don't know that I can do that well I think it's definitely the safeties I, I can do that for you I, I think the safety play has to continue <laughs> to get better Alex Grinch has capable bodies we've seen it happen you know Woody Washington has, is coming in and, and he's going to be a star I think on this defense we, we've seen people at the corner okay we, we've seen that there's that there's hope there at the corner with, with capable bodies of, of running in and out, but you, you still have to get better at the safety. And, and I, I know, you know, Buki is the guy that everyone beats on. Okay. He, mm-hmm. He's the, he's the scapegoat for everything bad that happens on this defense. And he does play out of control a little bit. He plays outside of, of his limits. He plays outside of himself and he's always talking trash, but I, I think what you have to consider with him is also the intangibles that he is a ball hawk. He doesn't always come up with the ball, but he is great at knowing where the ball's going. And, and you can't be that good without studying film. I, I think this kid is, is the quarterback of this secondary. If you'll allow me to say that where he gets everyone in line on the defense, he he's calling out plays. He's calling out formations. He's calling out possibilities and people are checking with him uh, pre-snap. And so I think there's some leadership there that maybe probably doesn't get talked about enough because of the mistakes that we do see coming from him. But the fact that he made nine tackles, eight of those nine tackles were solo tackles, meaning he did it right. all by himself. That's, that's a pretty decent performance from a guy who just gets beat up by the fans and sometimes the media on a regular basis in this secondary. And again, what it comes back to is when the secondary has some, you know, has less time. I mean, it's football one-on-one. You want your secondary to have less, less time. You want your secondary to react. You want them to read the play and react. You don't want them back there thinking. And the longer a quarterback has in the pocket, that's the more time a secondary has to think. And that is the worst nightmare for a defensive secondary. It's time for them to think. You want them only reacting. And what we're seeing up front from this defensive line and the linebacking core, we're seeing them limit the time a quarterback has in the pocket. Now it's going to be interesting as we move forward the next couple of weeks on, on this schedule, when we see Oklahoma play a, a, um, a Texas tech, we see them play a Kansas who are limited when it comes to what their quarterbacks can do with their feet. 
what that means is they're either going to have to eat the ball and take sacks or they're going to have to put the ball in the air. And that is going to mean opportunity for Oklahoma's defense to really just kind of get those turnovers. We know they didn't get one Saturday against TCU, but you got to credit that to the quarterback for the Horn Frogs. You know, what, what Dugan was doing was if he couldn't get to one of his guys, he got it to where no one can get it. And sometimes that was straight out of bounds, you know, and, and that's okay. That's the sign of a mature quarterback, even though he's young. I'm not so sure that we're going to have that same response from the quarterbacks for Texas Tech and Kansas. So opportunity is coming, but you're right. The, the safety position is what I would say needs still needs work. And, and we know there's guys coming in that are going to help work in that safety position in the next recruiting class, but there's still five games in the regular season that Alex Grinch is going to have to continue to work some things out. But I, I, I feel like I just need to say what I noticed about Brendan Radley Hiles, because I've been pretty critical of him. A lot of people have been pretty critical of him. He's given us reason. It's not undue or unjust criticism, but there are some intangibles there that may not go noticed. So here, here's my challenge to you. If you're saying, Matt, you're crazy. Why, why are you talking good about number 44 years? Cause I I've said it, I've said it myself and I saw it all over Twitter Saturday during the game, get him off the field. Why is he even out there? I've said that. Okay. So if you, if you're, if you've said that, we're, we're in the same boat together, but here's my challenge to you. Here's what I'm going to, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Watch him pre-snap, find him on the field pre-snap and watch everything he does for that defense pre-snap. And that's where you find really the value in him more than anything else. And then when you have a performance like what you had last Saturday against TCU, where he leads this defense and tackles, man, that's, that's gravy. Okay. That's, that's just, that's, that's a cherry on top of the Sunday that you're getting all of his pre-snap stuff in check. And he's actually leading out by making the plays. So you want that 99 out of 99 times. <laughs> Let me ask you one quick question when it comes to this defense. Um, there were a lot of different guys who made plays, made um, big time plays. In my opinion, when we're looking at this defense, I didn't realize how many players stepped onto the field. I know we had talked about a little bit of a, a shakeup in the secondary. I, I don't know that Oklahoma is going with that option anymore. I don't see Joshua Eaton on the, the, he didn't record a stat. Let's put it that way. So I'd have to look at a participation sheet to see if he actually was in the game. You got, you have information there? Uh, no, I don't. I was, I was, I should have had that pulled up before we started recording, hey, but I don't have It's it. all good. I, I just, I'm looking at this defense though. And 23 different players re recorded a stat. Did you think heading into this game, five games into the season that that rotation would be that deep within the secondary, not the secondary, but the defense as a whole? Well, no, it's the answer to your question is, is no, but also you got to keep in mind that some of those could be special teams as well. When you look at some of those, that's, stats. True. that's um, true. but the other thing is, I mean, look, I, I, you, you, this is a not, I'm trying to, they won the game. Okay. And it's been a great defensive performance. So I'm trying not to poo poo on the parade here, but this has not been a great defense through, through four games. It's not been great. I mean, Look, you, you beat up Missouri See, State. You should have beat up Missouri State. But Alex Grinch, he he's got to find he's got to find bodies. He's got to find people that can contribute 
and in doing that, you got to put people in the field and, and coming off of a, of an off week, you know, a bye week where you, you have time to, to really go back to the basics and also to evaluate some guys to see if they're caught up, you know, that bye week was in, in a large way, it was, it was a makeup for what they missed in the spring. So I guess all I'm saying is you still saw, I, I'm looking at the, um, I'm trying to look up the, the participation sheet, but I know I saw Jeremiah Cridell make a big play. So there's, there's, right. there's a new, a new one. We, we saw Woody Washington really kind of get out there. Um, you had Marcus Stripling. Marcus and Bryson. I, I know that he's so, Stripling's so, played pretty consistently. So there's still guys out there that were not there prior to the Texas game. And, and I'm, I'm here for, it. I mean, Jordan Kelly with a, with a bit and how big did Jordan Kelly look? Jordan Kelly looked like a monster out there on the field. Um, so and Corey Robertson. And so you're seeing guys out there and, and I'm, I'm completely okay with it because you can tell that things are working and you can tell that they're still trying to figure some things out. And so as long as, you know, as long as you come away with the performance, because it's not like they, 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 they snuck away with a two point win by batting down a two point conversion, you know, and because we've seen that before against TCU, this was a good dominating performance by the defense. And, and man, these guys up front, those, those, I don't care how many guys make it in the rotation. I'm telling you the seven guys on the field at any given time have been dang good for Alex Grinch. I was going to disagree with you in one aspect because I do believe that this this defense specifically flashed on occasion. I think what 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 tends to happen here Matt is we see these defensive performances and ultimately what we do is we start to blame the defense and rightfully so, don't get me wrong, but we start to blame the defense for letting Iowa State back in the game. We start to blame the defense for letting Kansas State back in the game. The defense has shown signs of life through all five games. In my opinion, it's just they, they, were, they weren't able to play a complete game. I think what we're starting to see is, again, we talked about turning the corner. We're starting to see this team turn <laughs> that corner. We're starting to see them put together an entire 60 minutes of play. That, that wasn't the case in the two losses there. It wasn't even the case against Texas. This was the second game this season where I felt as though from start to finish, granted, there are there are going to be mishaps. I don't expect this defense to play a perfect game. They're not that caliber of a defense. It's not that caliber of a personnel on the two, day, two deep, but I do expect them to play a complete game, and I do expect them to consistently compete. I think that's what we're seeing, and ultimately, if I'm grading the defense, if if I'm looking at it as a whole, I can't say that that they've been – subpar i can say they've been average at times but tcu they they definitely stepped it up a notch that was a tied for a season low with tcu 14 points and and people are you know and rightfully so people are giving a lot of credit to kansas state's defense that's that's the other team that, that's that's who held tcu to 14 points and so um Look, it's coming around. You're in the Big 12. It's the spread offense. This has always been a offensive uh, a conference that's dominated by offense. So you're going to have big plays. 
regardless of, of who you have personnel wise in there, there's going to be some big plays. It's just going to happen. It happens to every team in this conference. You just want to see less and less and less of them. And right. that's what we're starting to see happen with this defense. Again, not saying I'm not saying they've arrived. I'm not saying that they're there, but I've been saying this since the Kansas state loss. What do you want to see next week? Well, you want to see them win, but you also want to see them improve. You want to see, can they get better from one game to the next? And I think they have, they, 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 they were better at Iowa state than they were against Kansas state. They were better against Texas than they were against Iowa state. And this is the best we've seen them all year long. Now, can you carry that to Lubbock, Texas next weekend? All right. Give me a, a, a defensive player of the game. Who, who would you, <laughs> we've, we talked about Buki and his nine tackles. Who would you, who would you go with? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to throw some names out. I may not even give you the guy you're looking for, but we've already mentioned Buki. We mentioned Woody Washington, uh, Deshaun white. Cause I, I'm pretty confident the guy I'm going to, I'm going to name is not going to be on your list, but um, Perry and Winfrey, a guy we mentioned in the middle, give me, Give me some names or a name that you would say, yeah, guy had a pretty good game. <laughs> there, There's definitely a handful of guys where, like I said, they had moments, but of all the players that were on the field, the, the one for me that had the biggest impact is, I don't know. Well, I Can don't know. What, what number does he wear? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I'm still at, in this this point because I feel like the easy answer is to go with Brendan Riley Hiles. Uh -huh. You look at the stats, and the stats certainly back that up. But in terms of understanding the the assignments and staying home when some of the plays um, were a little bit deceptive from TCU, and making sure that you were in the right place at the right time, I, I feel like I've got to go with Deshaun White. At okay. the linebacker position. Well, um, okay. I, I said that I was going to throw out a name that you're probably is probably not going to make your list, and you went ahead and took Deshaun White, and so, so like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on that, and because Deshaun White, who I was I had in mind, but also Brian Asamoa is, is a guy. He he had a sack uh, and you know three tackles. All of them were solo tackles. The the depth of this linebacking core. To me, it's it's uh, when when you look at Caleb Kelly's gone. Of course, you lose Kenneth Murray. They're deeper and and they're the quality depth at linebacker is way better than I thought it was going to be. That's one of the things you talked about saying this is one of the best front sevens in the conference. I'm I'm impressed with how how deep they go um, at linebacker quality depth. Okay, so you, let's flip sides of the of the ball and let's talk um, let's talk offense for a little bit. Now, Rich, we there is one name. I, I we're going to talk offense, but there is one name on the defensive side of the ball that we have to. I, I can't believe I, I I totally overlooked it in my notes because we're doing this online instead of how we normally do it face to face, but. Do you, do you know the name that we should have mentioned? And, and you know what? And I'm even going to go back and say this was my defensive player of the game. That's how far back I'm going with this. Think of a name that we didn't mention. Period. 
Jaden yeah, Davis, Trey no, Brown, Trey, Trey Brown, Norwood. Trey Brown. How many times did you hear Trey Brown's name called in this game on Saturday? Not a single time that I yeah. can recall. And when you're a cornerback and no one's calling your name, that means you've had a pretty dang good game. And so I think we should give Trey Brown some love here and just say, maybe he deserved. They didn't record a lot of stats, but when they can't throw the ball your way, you're not going to record stats, but you do remove a player from the offense. And so I, I do think we need to at least stop and say, kudos to you, Trey Brown, probably the best game he's played in a long time wearing the crimson and cream uniform. All right, jump into offense now. Um, I love the fact that Oklahoma committed early to the run. Definitely made it. This, this is going to be a priority. And I'm actually working on a post for this that we'll have up on the website, heartland-sports.com. Um, unashamed plug there. Um, watch. If, if, just go look up highlights from the game. Look at where the safeties are for TCU early in the game. And look at where the safeties are for TCU late in the game. I'll give you, I'll give you two plays, in fact, that you can look at this and see, um, see exactly what I'm talking about. TJ Pledger scores the opening touchdown for Oklahoma on a 12-yard run. When you look at the safeties on that play, they're clearly playing the run. This is a team playing to stop the run. I mean, yeah, sorry, strike that. Playing to stop the pass. The, the bottom safety, he goes out into the flat to cover a pass. The top safety, he drops back towards the end zone, playing pass first. And then when the ball gets into Pledger's hands, you remember he, he kind of bowling ball over two TCU defenders to score that touchdown. <laughs> One of them was the safety who was topside. And the reason he's coming in from that angle is because he went back first to play the pass. Now, Take that play and watch it. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Then go to the Marvin Mims, the second Marvin Mims touchdown. That touchdown happened because Marvin Mims made an incredible play on the ball, but also Marvin Mims is in one-on-one -on -one coverage. There's only one safety that's 10 yards back on that play. TCU has 10 guys within 10 yards. We're really within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Marvin Mims is one-on-one -on -one, and that safety, you'll see him. If you, if you just watch it and pause it pre-snap that safety, his first step now is forward and not backwards. And when you run the ball effectively, it makes the safeties step up and not back. Marvin Mims one-on-one -on -one, gets the reception, scores the touchdown, and, and there you have the one of the, we said, the key to Oklahoma success in this game is going to be to run the ball and then take advantage of your opportunities downfield. And when you look at Spencer Rattler's stats in this game, 332 passing yards on 13 completions definitely says he took advantage of shots down the field. You definitely called that one on Thursday. We were looking at this this TCU team. We knew that the strength of the defense lied within those safeties. We knew that there's an All-American candidate sitting on their roster at that safety position. And so baiting them into creeping up towards that line of scrimmage certainly helped out guys like, like Marvin Mims downfield. It helped Spencer Rattler open some things up, find his man in one-on-one -on -one coverage instead of having to worry about that bracketed coverage that we've seen come so many times. But let's talk specifically, Matt, about that performance 
by Marvin Mims. I'm going to give you a sneak preview into who my player of the game is because I don't see how you can go any other way outside of Mims. Here's a true freshman who has stepped onto the field, and I get that there was a lot of accolade. There was a lot of talk surrounding him as a freshman coming out of Texas high school football, the records that he said, the records that he's going to pursue at the University of Oklahoma, not only on the school level, but potentially on a national level. Here's a kid who comes in, and, and I know exactly what play that you're talking about. That first, I thought it was the first touchdown by Marvin Mims, no, where he made, he made the that that grab where the receivers basically draped on him like a cape. The defensive back, yeah. It's, yes, yes, sorry, sorry, yes. Yeah, that was that was the second touchdown. Okay, okay. I'm looking at his average, and when you have an average of 40, is it 43 yards per carry? Sorry, per catch? Well, that's unheard of. And, and it wasn't just for one player. So let's go back to the, well, you, the you game plan. You said 43, plan. but you mean 30. He averaged 33. 33. Reception. Yes, yeah. thank you. Thank you. 33, 33 yards per catch. But he's not the only receiver who benefited from this game plan. So we can no, go right. back to, to that preparation, to that planning, that run heavy first series of Oklahoma. You wrote this in the recap. It really set Oklahoma up for success down the field. And again, it set more specifically these receivers up for success. Theo Weiss, 29 yards per catch, three catches, 87 yards, 44 long. Seth McGowan's the lone outlier here who wasn't the receiver, but still had a 43-yard reception. I mean, we can continue to go down the list. And all of a sudden, what you're beginning to see, I said Oklahoma lacked the big plays, Matt. And I said that during the game to you that I was really starting to reverse my stance because all of a sudden, again, I have to credit the game plan, but all of a sudden, Oklahoma was throwing bombs. Uh-huh. It was that's, like it we were like, back it to like that's all they threw was bombs. And, and <laughs> yeah, I, right. And I love it because again, they're challenging those safeties. Five of the first six plays in that opening drive, running plays, touchdown was a running play that set the tone for the rest of the game. Because mm-hmm. Gary Patterson's like, hey, we can't, we can't leave our safeties back. And the minute those safeties begin to move up. Um, Lincoln Riley was like, okay, we're going over the top and sorry, I'm, I'm jumping in here. But when you, when you look at the fact that the, you know, Rattler had 332 yards on just 13 completions, that is asinine. When you think about the, the amount of ridiculousness that's involved in that type of yards per completion average. It's not just that it's, it's the, the running attempts as well. Oklahoma came in, you've mentioned, I've mentioned the first series numbers and how often and how willing Oklahoma was to simply run the ball successfully. Oklahoma, you you talk about the 13 completions, but Oklahoma ran the ball 45 times to 22 passes. Uh I did not expect that coming into this game. I know that we've seen there's been a tendency to rely on the talents of the quarterback more than the running backs. But I think, and I'm going to go back to that Texas game. When we looked at the performance by TJ Pledger, I said, we have a, a, an all around or an all purpose back, a guy who can be out there for every single down. I didn't expect that out of a guy like Pledger. I didn't expect that with the emergence of a guy like Seth McGowan. And I certainly didn't expect that when we talked about the reinsertion of a guy by the name of Ramon J. Stevenson. 
TJ Pledger is the back on this team, and he will be the starter for the remainder of the season. Two games with over 100 yards. You're not, you're not agreeing with me, and that's okay. Two, you, no one can see Matt's face except for me, and you just made this. I, yep, I, I'm going to sit on the opposite side of the fence from you, face. I think TJ Pledger has the job. You clearly don't. TJ Pledger, in my opinion, will be the starter for the remainder of the season. He's been the most productive back here in conference play. Yeah, here's all I'm going to say on that. You could very well be right, but Ramondre Stevenson, in my opinion, is a better running back than TJ Pledger. I, I, TJ Pledger, go ahead. I'm going to ask, would they really, would Oklahoma, would Lincoln Riley, really use him as a starter. I, I get what we saw from him last season was mostly in the second half. It was it was late game. It was the defense has been completely worn out. We're going to put this big back in there to simply run you over. A guy who consistently falls forward. Now, I know within that statement, there was Kennedy Brooks, Trey Sermon out later in the season, but there was Kennedy Brooks that you could rely on as your every down back, as your consistent starter. And undoubtedly, he would have been the starter, no questions asked this season, given the production that he's had. Without him there, it was really a coin toss for me for who could be that starter. Didn't matter who they named. Didn't matter that TJ Pledger was number one on that depth chart when Missouri State came to town. But I think TJ Pledger has, has earned that role. And I think he's earned that starting job. And if someone wants it, he's going to have to have to have a terrible game, in my opinion. I don't think you so, have to have a so, terrible. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm, well, I'm, I'm just going to go back. I'm just going to go back because my original question is you you clearly believe that Ramondre Stevenson is a guy that they would rely on as a starter where I'm looking at Ramondre Stevenson as being more of a compliment. No, and that's that's I don't I don't see that being the case. Now, I, I clearly I believe TJ Pledger starts against um, starts against Texas Tech. I believe he starts against Kansas. But then coming out of that second bye week, I I would not be surprised if it's Ramondre. They're both going to play. TJ Pledger is going to play. He's proven his ability to handle his weight, carry his weight, so to speak. Last two games against Texas, Pledger has uh, Texas and TCU over the last two games. He's he's sitting on 253 yards rushing. That's that's good, but this is a Alex. I keep saying Alex Grinch because we just talked about it. Lincoln Riley wants more from this running game, and I think he gets that with Ramondre Stevenson. I, I think they become more of that dynamic duo in the backfield. But I I don't know that I can just say sit here and say that. Yeah, Pledge is going to be the starter for the remainder of the season because I don't know that that's going to be the case. I really don't. I think once Ramondre comes back that there oh, and when i say comes back i mean comes back with his with his uh with his game legs underneath him i which i believe will be after that next bye week i, I think that there's a chance that this thing changes here's the one thing i'm not going to change my stance on and that is <laughs> that I, I i'm not certain that oklahoma will have a 1000 yard rusher this season well you got five games left and tj pledger's your best your best shot at it and i i agree with you but i mean He's on a good pace suddenly um, after the last two games. And, and again, the next two opponents set up pretty nicely for Oklahoma to, to have, you know, that type of big game on the ground. But I, I, I agree. I think, I think it's, it's a definitely a long shot at this point. Here, here's the, here's the thing I want to, I want to point out about Oklahoma's rushing attack. What it does 
is it allows Spencer Rattler to be able to have a little bit more control when you can run the ball successfully. And, and keep in mind, you mentioned 45 rushing attempts against TCU. They had 55 rushing attempts against Texas. So in the last two games alone, they've run the ball a hundred times. And what have we seen? We, we saw this transition begin to take place in the third quarter of the Texas game when they came out and dominated the time of possession, dominated the, the Texas defensive front, and they dominated the third quarter by scoring, outscoring Texas 14 to nothing. And we, we saw, I believe that was when we saw the shift in what Lincoln Ryan is going to do with this offense. And I think it's only going to continue once again, a guy like Ramondre Stevenson comes back, but what has it done to Spencer Rattler? I mean, knock on wood here, but Oklahoma has now gone six quarters without turning the football over. And TCU was the first game of the season that they didn't have a turnover. So, I mean, you're seeing well, almost, no, they, they didn't. I mean, <laughs> I, I, almost doesn't count. If almost doesn't count, for the defense, right. it doesn't count it's against right. the offense. But the, it's point, right. the point I'm making is it has allowed Spencer Rattler to play within himself a little bit more and to keep control. And I, you could see it in the way he's just slinging the ball. We talked about the downfield shots. He is setting up much more comfortably. His release looked a little easier. It just looked like he was out there playing pitch and catch. And those were not, I mean, you, we talked about the touchdown pass to Marvin Mims. It's not like these are uncontested guys he's throwing out to that aren't just wide open. Sometimes they are like Drake Stoops against Texas. Sometimes they're like Marvin Mims. But the point I'm making is, you can see a difference in Spencer Rattler and you can see a difference in not turning the ball over. And isn't it amazing how suddenly you can win a little bit better when you don't turn the ball over? <laughs> yeah, I think your your chances exponentially increase of winning a game when you're not turning the ball over, more specifically when you're not turning it over multiple times in a game. I, I, I know we've passed up the defensive segment of this and I know that you had mentioned the lack of turnovers. But the one thing that I've always been more interested in is is winning or at least coming out even on that turnover margin. That's a big indicator for Oklahoma, especially this season. It's a big indicator of how these games are going to go. And if Oklahoma can keep it at a zero, I do like their chances, even if it's a narrow win, I do like their chances of getting that win. The offensive firepower that Oklahoma has, the defensive front that Oklahoma has is enough of a recipe for success. They just got to lean into it. <laughs> and not get behind in that turnover margin. Okay, here's the other thing, though, on, on Oklahoma's offense. We, we talked about the secondary and the defense. I got to throw this out there because I, I picked this guy to have to be the guy to have the big game against TCU. Austin Stogner has to get better at catching contested passes. I think he was one for four in catching passes that were contested. Um, I just, look, he, he's the big guy. People are going to be draped on him. He's going to have people tugging at him and pulling at him. But the reality is he's that mismatch. He, he's that guy that has to catch those types of passes. If you want to throw to someone who's going to be wide open, you got Marvin Mims for that. You, you got Charleston Rambo for that. But the guy who needs to make the tough catch is Austin Stogner. 
We saw him on the third and eight against Texas. Drop it. We saw him nine, drop the, nine, third and whatever. Nine. Okay. But we, <laughs> the point is we saw the drop. The pass was there. That, that play didn't work because the patent pass didn't get there. That play didn't work because he didn't catch it. And then we saw drop passes. I get it. Again, Joe fan is going to say, but look at the defensive back all over him. Look at their whole, I, I get it. But the, per, the, 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 value of having a big body physical receiver is that he can make those catches when someone's draped all over him. He's got to get better at it. I do like the potential of Austin Stugner. I do like the quality of the play that we get out of him because of that versatility. He's not a guy that you have to pull when you want to run the ball. So he does provide a little bit of a boost in the schematics that Oklahoma likes to run. I do have to say Oklahoma, I I thought would rely on him pretty heavily. We knew about the situation with Calcaterra. We knew that Stogner would assume that role, the role, but what I really want to ask is in that situation, what we've seen is, is Jeremiah Hall as a guy who has consistently made plays in the red zone. Now, Oklahoma wasn't throwing to him. In fact, I, I don't even know that he stepped into the game. I'm not looking at that participation sheet, but I do know that he didn't record a single reception. And he's, in my opinion, the most versatile guy on this roster for the offense as an H-back. He can play at that that tight end position. But I do agree with you. You look at the big body. You look at the, the hands of Austin Stogner. But more importantly, I think you have to consider the chemistry that he, as well as Spencer Rattler, had coming out of high school. These were guys who had played together in seven-on-sevens down in Texas, even though, even though Rattler's from Arizona. They had a relationship before they ever arrived on campus. It's also why I think Stogner in the early going was the favorite for, for, for Rattler. He was the consistent target, not just because he was a big body, not just because he made himself available, but again, because of that chemistry that they had developed because of the knowledge of each other's tendencies that they had developed and their knowledge of the game, more specifically Stogner's knowledge of the game. When I look at him and, and I see what Oklahoma wants to do, I see them throwing in his direction pretty often. He is going to have to be a more reliable guy if he wants to boost those number of catches, if he wants to boost the number of targets. He will have to prove that he can take a hand in the back or he can take a tug on the jersey and still come down with that catch. Now, what I do want to add on to this conversation, Matt, is Oklahoma (laughs) – this this may get some a little bit of backlash, but Oklahoma's never put their tight ends recently. They've never put their tight ends in a favorable position. It's always, okay, I, I see your eyes. Let me explain that. When I say in a favorable position, I mean they're throwing high to these, these tight ends because they're the only ones who can catch that pass, but they're setting setting those tight ends to be undercut. They're setting them up to be undercut. How many times have we seen a tight end go up for a pass and come down on his head? Mark okay. Andrews did it. Calcaterra did it. <laughs> I, I, look, man, I, look, Mark Andrews, I, I think of Mark Andrews streaking down the sideline in the Cotton Bowl to beat Texas. Mark Andrews was definitely set up for success <laughs> multiple times. Yeah, they, they are definitely set up for success. Great Calcaterra winning, the, the, the sealing the Big 12 championship against Texas with Kyler Murray hitting him down the sideline. I just, I, th- I think, I think what you're trying to say is that 
the tight ends, Grant Calcaterra, Mark Andrews, those guys were put in more in situations to make the more difficult catches as opposed the most to, difficult. Right. I think that's what you're trying to say, as opposed yes. to they were never set up for success, which goes back to what I'm saying is Austin Stockner's got to get better at that. That's the, he's not succeeding where where Mark Andrews and Grant Calcaterra mm-hmm. did. The last thing that I will say uh, specifically about the tight end position is when you present such a mismatch, doesn't matter if you're going against a defensive back or a linebacker, you know that as a defender from either of those positions that you're not in a favorable spot, that you are in a spot to be taken advantage of and you're going to do anything and everything in your power as an attempt to stop that from happening. So I do, I see exactly what you're saying they're going to have defenders draped all over them. They're going to have players who are running up, whether it's from that safety position or whether it's from that middle linebacker in a simple route across the middle, a a crossing route there in the middle for some, maybe it's a short yardage first down situation where you throw the ball, but they're going to have players that are running full steam ahead to try to dislodge that ball. It's, it's just the nature of that position. That's where I think what, what I'm trying to say, instead of saying, they're not putting them in a in a in a space to be or a place to be successful is that ultimately you have to expect that that's coming and know that you're being relied on and still come down with that ball regardless of if it's the linebacker a safety who's streaking straight towards the line of scrimmage to try to dislodge that ball or if it's a guy who's jumped and is now pulling you down in order to gain that leverage to get a little bit higher because they're not as tall as you You've got to expect it, and you still got to deliver. And that's not what Stockner's doing right now. So that's, <laughs> right. That's just right. Roundabout way of explaining that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about uh, offensive player of the game. You mentioned Marvin Mims. I, I don't see how you can't go. I mean, again, Rattler, 332 yards, two touchdowns. Pledger, 122 yards and a touchdown. But Marvin Mims, 132 yards on four receptions, two scores. He's clearly got to be your player of the game, right? Absolutely. Now, something interesting, I, I don't know if you read this uh, that we posted on the website, Rich, but, you know, Marvin Mims stepped up into some elite company on Saturday. Do you know what he did? No, what'd he do? Marvin Mims caught his fifth and sixth touchdown catches of the season. So he's got six touchdowns through five games. That is a school record for a freshman, six touchdowns, freshman receiver. Six touchdowns through five games, school record. The previous record was four touchdowns in five games, and it was shared by two former receivers. Can you name who those receivers are? As as freshmen or as true freshmen? Freshmen. Yeah, freshman record. Man, I, I really want to throw Ryan Broyles' name out there. Okay, he's one. And I want to throw out um, who would have been a good receiver as a freshman – it's not a running back, is it? It's no, not it's a trick a receiver. question. We're talking about yeah, we're okay. talking about the receiver. Okay, so Ryan Broyles, and I'm gonna go with. I want to go earlier than that, than Ryan Broyles. Can you help me out? Give me a clue. School record, four touchdowns in five games as a freshman. It is not earlier than Ryan Broyles, and it's pretty obvious. Is it? Yes. When I tell you, if you can't guess it, when I tell you who it is, you're gonna kick yourself. <laughs> I got um CD Lamb. Yep, CD Lamb. Okay. I mean, that, I, I, 
I really didn't I know to go you. with. No, that's the best thing I can give you right there. Uh, it's it's a more recent than Ryan Brewer's and obvious. Sedarian Lamb, you know, number 88 for the Dallas Cowboys, who are terrible, by the way. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's when you're talking about the potential of Marvin Mims, he's already in elite company. Okay, we got to jump around the Big 12 and, and talk about some things uh, right up next. Well, Rich, the first thing I want to say when we are talking about the, the Big 12 roundup for the weekend is I could not have been more wrong about the Kansas-Kansas State game. Um, I, I don't remember what the point spread was on that game, but I know when we did our our uh, podcast, the preview Oklahoma TCU, we went through the Big 12. I said I, I thought that the Jayhawks would cover um, the spread. I'm pretty sure it was less than 41 points, though, and uh, and they did not cover. The only way they cover is if it was 40, uh, 42 points. And so losing. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, you mean you mean the over under? No, no, no. Did I say the over under as well? I I thought I thought Kansas would stay within the point spread of Kansas State because I thought the, both of these teams would just run the ball like crazy. Uh, but listen, this right. this Kansas team is bad. This is this is you know Kansas has been bad for a long time but this is quite possibly the worst Kansas team we have ever seen play the game of football and they are on track right now for an over season and they will be the first to step up and say we're thankful that 2020 doesn't count towards anything now i i'm a little bit confused you you've lost me when you've talked about this spread cuz i thought it was 19 points Right. That's what I'm saying. I thought they would stay within that. I could remember what it was. And I, I thought, right. But I thought that, that Kansas would stay within that 19 points of Kansas state because I thought, Oh, so you're, you're saying they needed 41, 42 points to cover or whatever yeah, because, it was. Cause if they were, they lost 55 to 14. Right. And so I just, I did not see that game going that way. Uh, Will Howard, freshman quarterback for Kansas state, 243 yards, I I don't want to say this about the Jayhawks, but they're the second. Uh, sorry, the the Wildcats. Forgive me, Sunflower State people. Um, they're the second highest ranked team in the Big Twelve right now, and they just at this point they haven't skipped a beat without Skylar Thompson. Uh, th- this team they're they're looking the part. Oklahoma needs some help, and that help has to come through Iowa State, Kansas State, or Oklahoma State. And Kansas State at this point does not seem willing to help out at all. Well, it's all about Deuce Vaughn, and that's been pretty evident. He only even had, from, he had less than 100 yards in this game. Well, he had 81 yards receiving oh, sorry, and 71 right, right. yards rushing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a pretty big impact to have. A guy who plays the running back position, not only to lead this team in receiving yards, but I mean rushing yards, but also in receiving yards. It's saying that he he's the go-to right. playmaker. And he's obviously delivering on a consistent basis. We'll see if that continues. I'd really like to see them go up against a team like an Iowa State or even an Oklahoma State and the defense, the defenses that are on those rosters, see if they can continue to match that current output that they have. That Those are going to be those interesting games for Kansas State. But I told you, I thought, or excuse me, Kansas State would cover this one. Yeah, I, right. I didn't expect 100%. it to be very close, and that really came down to <laughs> no, no uh, Puka Williams. But here we sit, and Kansas is bad. They are going to be the cellar dweller, and I'm I'm not convinced that they're going to win a game this season. No, that's I I'm I am with you on that. Okay, the Big Twelve Kansas game State. The, the verdict's still out for me. 
man, four and one, four and zero in conference play. They're they're looking the part. Um, second place in the Big Twelve right now. First place in the Big Twelve right now belongs to the Oklahoma State Cowboys. 24-21 win over Iowa State in what had to have been the Big 12 game of the week. Um, look, the, I, I, I just maybe it's just because I, I loathe Oklahoma State and don't want them to have any success. But I, I'm, are you ready to call them the real deal now after beating Iowa State in, in Stillwater? <laughs> Uh, in the Big 12, yes. I mean, they're the front runners. They're in the driver's seat at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and their schedule, they've got Texas, they've got Kansas State still coming up. They've, certainly they've got Oklahoma. But if you're a Sooner fan, this game was kind of critical because if Iowa State were to beat Oklahoma State and then you win Bedlam and Norman, you own the tiebreaker over the Cowboys. But as it is, the Cyclones miss two field goals and they lose by three in Stillwater. And man, you know, Pistol Pete's sitting fat and happy right there in the driver's seat. When I'm looking at Oklahoma State, it's hard for me to ignore a statement that you made quite some time ago, Matt. And that was Oklahoma State has been extremely successful under Mike Gundy when they have a pro style quarterback. Now they've got a dual threat quarterback. I get that Illingworth had some success there. Again, a freshman quarterback stepping in, even though he was third on that depth chart, stepped in after the injury to Spencer Sanders. And after a little bit of uh, lack of success from whoever number two is, takes over and, and Oklahoma State starts looking exceptional on the offensive side of the ball. And I know that they have offensive line troubles. That's not a secret. So when you look at that pro style quarterback and the the success that Illingworth had, the statement that you had made was that they've typically been successful and you were wondering if there would be a change of guard or how Mike Gundy would even approach that. I was thinking there could be a two quarterback approach. I didn't know how Spencer Sanders really fit into that equation or really fit into that scheme. He's the more talented of the two. He's the more athletic of the two, but I don't know that he has as high of a ceiling as a guy like Illingworth in that specific program in that specific scheme so when we begin to look at Oklahoma State I'm still not convinced that Spencer Sanders is is their best option throughout the remainder of the schedule they'll have to manage that doesn't matter what my thoughts are because I have no say in the matter but Oklahoma State looks really good with Illingworth out there at the quarterback position but they present a completely different monster if you will when Sanders is in there, because you do have to count for the run. You do have to count for the ability to scramble and the ability to throw because he does have a a pretty strong arm. Now, accuracy is something that I still think he can improve upon. Oklahoma State, are they the real deal? I'm willing to to buy into that on the defensive side of the ball. I want to see them solidify their identity on offense, and I, I, I just can't say that they've done that for me. Well, we'll see. You know, they got Texas coming up next. And speaking of, uh, I think they have Texas coming up next. Speaking of the Longhorns, a big win over Baylor, 27 to 16. Baylor looked like a team that hadn't played in a while and had all the problems <laughs> that uh, that they had uh, with COVID and the contact tracing and the positive testing and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the Longhorns go to three and two overall in the season, two and two in the big 12, you know, that, that was Texas needed that. There's no other way to say it that, that Texas needed that win. 
Yeah, it's a bounce back after such a disappointing loss for overtimes. I get they had the bye week to prepare for Baylor, and you you do look at the situation, and you you and I both said that this one swung in the favor of the Longhorns. I think they have to get that win, or or Tom Herman's in serious trouble. Right. I think I still think he's in serious trouble, but at least uh, at least it'll be quiet down for for another week. Uh, you know, in in Austin. Uh, okay, final final game in the Big Twelve, which was highly entertaining. Texas Tech, West Virginia. The uh, Red Raiders get a 34 to 27 win. It, the best play in this game. It, I don't know if you've seen it or not, Rich, but the Texas Tech punter, and I can't think of his name at, at right now, but the Texas Tech punter punted from his own end zone all the way to the oppo- the opposite end zone. Incredible punt. <laughs> I mean, I'd never, I mean, it, just, we always say crazy things happen out in West Texas particularly after dark, you've got to look that play up just a nuts play. But I, I think, I think it ended up being uh, labeled as an 84 yard punt or 86 yard punt based from the line of scrimmage. But at the end of the day, it went from end zone to end zone. Uh, Jarrett Daigie for 347 yards and a losing effort for the Mountaineers. There, there's nothing I saw from this game that, that really makes me, incredibly nervous to go to Lubbock, Texas next weekend for the Sooners, but you at least, at least Oklahoma can build us as now that they're back in the top 25, you know, you're a ranked opponent going on the road, playing a team that's coming off of a win. It kind of adds a little bit more, you know, if you're, if you're in that film room or you're in the, in the, the position meeting, you're just paying attention a little bit more because you're playing a team coming off of a win as opposed to a team that dropped to two uh, to, to one and four um, on the season. And you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's, it's, it's a big, big win for Texas tech, but also it helps Oklahoma's game in Lubbock next Saturday night, I guess is what I'm getting to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I still look at Sir Roderick Thompson and recognize the talent that is there. I, I think Texas tech really needs to lean on him. And that I would have said at the beginning of this season, you look at what he did against West Virginia, 8.5 yards per carry. It baffles me that a guy with that, those types of numbers only gets eight carries. If Texas Tech can lean on him, they, I think they could change the face of their program. They could change the course uh, of the season. And I get that they got that win against West Virginia, but how, how you don't ride the, the strength, what I would consider the strength, or the best skill position player on this roster. It, it, it's just, it's baffling. Matt Wells found Cliff Kingsbury's playbook. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what's happening right there. It's it. And he hasn't <laughs> made it deep enough into it to find the running plays. That's, you know, that's, the Cliff Kingsbury's playbook was a hundred pages. Then the first 95 are all passing plays. And Matt Wells just hasn't got deep enough into it yet to figure out uh, where the running plays are. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for us. We will be back later on in the week to talk more in depth about Texas Tech and Oklahoma Halloween matchup out in Lubbock. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can follow the Sooner Nation podcast anywhere the podcasts are found. You can get us uh, subscribed to us. We would greatly appreciate that, by the way. You can always reach out to us on email, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. And of course, we're on the web just about every day, heartland-sports.com. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in.